folks. Yep. Welcome to a special episode of uh, DFV. I am Black Cinephile. I'm Brad. That is Brad. And folks, this one's special, man. This one's special because this one is like so... This this is such a DFV episode, but at the same time, it's not. Um, let's bag up. So this is the Barbenheimer episode. So if you're not aware of uh, the cultural zeitgeist, the cultural cinematic zeitgeist that's happening right now, uh, basically two films that have nothing to do with each other um, that are posed to be uh, box office hits got released on the same day. Uh, one by a former, uh, you know, Warner Brothers uh, affiliate. Christopher Nolan uh, made a film called Oppenheimer and the other one by um, uh, uh, which is a Warner Brothers film, uh, Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Now, walking into this one to give you all some context behind the scenes. I know Brad and I, we initially was going to call we this was going to have Barbie versus the Lego movie. Yep. Perfect DFV theme. Right. And at first I was with it like, you know what? Okay, we'll just talk about Oppenheimer afterwards. But then I just I I thought long and hard. I said, dog, I think God is trying to tell us something because this just this 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 screams DFV like 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 the Barbenheimer stuff I'm seeing on my Twitter timeline. If if we don't do this, this is a disservice to DFV, bro. And, you know, Brad was like, I mean, okay, but they're they're literally two different movies. I'm like, dude, DFV is all about fun. Let's Mm -hmm. let's just give in to the fun because this this marketing thing is stupid. But it's fun. Oh, you know I'm saying? I will say the marketing behind these two movies and the fun they had for it was a blast to go through with, you know, the yeah. people that made Oppenheimer posing in front of pictures for the Barbie movie and everything like that. Uh, the advertising for like Barbie came out with an actual Airbnb that you can rent. That's like the Barbie yeah. dream house. And everybody was like. Well, what's Oppenheimer going to do for their marketing campaign? <laughs> a billboard that that counted down to zero. And when it got to zero, nothing happened. Right. Yeah. <laughs> were, oh, man, that's a great story. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get into Oppenheimer. But um, yeah, man, I feel like a, a marketing campaign like this, even though it is kind of, you know, it makes no sense. I believe anything that brings people back to cinemas is a good thing. Oh yeah, and uh, that's that. That's what DFV is about, man. And uh, I don't think this is. I don't. I think this is like 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 anything but random. I think this is the universe telling DFV we need to do this. Yeah, because we like having fun with our combinations and everything. Uh, I know we were right. both very disappointed when Keanu Day didn't happen, which was going to be oh, the yeah. Matrix Four and John Wick Four happening on the same right. day. But that was a blessing in disguise. Uh, was that it was though? a blessing in disguise? <laughs> Well, well, one was amazing. The other one is a film we don't like talking about. So it was a blessing in disguise. It would have been unfair. It, it just would have been. Un- I don't think this one here is unfair. That, that's true. Right? Like, that that would have been a landslide victory on all accounts. Landslide. Landslide. Um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, going into this one, man, I mean, we're not fans of chronological, going chronological, but th- we... You know, we we uh, we lucked out this time. We can go alphabetical. Yeah, I for the first time, I'm actually excited about the ordering we get to make our movies because it's finally not chronological. Absolutely. All right, so um, I'm gonna start us off here, man. I'm gonna do uh, 2023's Barbie, 
directed by Greta Gerwig, uh, co-written by Gerwig and uh, and uh, Noah Baumbach. And so this film is uh, based off the, uh, the the classic Mattel doll, you know, Barbie. She's beautiful. She's independent. Uh, she's a great feminist icon. She is everything. She is, um, as they say, the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so with this film, uh, Margot Robbie plays Bar- Barbie. And she's in Barbie land. You know, she has um, her boyfriend, Ken, played by Ryan Gosling. And we have different type of Barbies. We got a uh, President Barbie. We got a uh, Mermaid Barbie. We got other type of Kens, and uh, they all live in Barbie Land. And you know, Barbie, everything is perfect. You know, uh, she's perfect. And <laughs> as it goes on, Barbie starts to realize that she's going through an existential crisis. Um, and 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 what I think is like one of the funniest scenes in the movie, where everybody's dancing. There's a dance party, and then mm. Barbie says. Hey, you guys ever think about dying? Then everyone just stops <laughs> and just stares at her. And she goes, uh, oh, not me. I'm dying of happiness. And no, I'm dying to keep it. dancing. Right. I'm dying to keep dancing. And uh, that's when you realize that uh, something's not right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Barbie realizes um, through um, Kate McKinnon's character, a uh, weird Barbie, that uh, she's like, hey, the girl that plays with you in the real world uh, her emotions are coming through to you and you're becoming depressed. So you have to go to the real world. So um, she decides, okay, I'm going to go off to the real world. Uh, people are going to love me because I'm a feminist icon and I'm Barbie. So she, well, she also off. thinks that Barbie has solved all the world's problems and everybody right. is happy because Barbie exists. Barbie is the savior of all, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, so she goes off, and uh, lo and behold, Ryan Gosling's Ken uh, uh, escapes off with her by surprise, and uh, they head off to the real world, and um, you know they try to like uh, see what's going on with Barbie Land and why she's feeling this way, and that is kind of like um, the uh, the base plot for Barbie. Yeah, which uh, right off the bat with this movie, I had to say, uh, who is their target audience in this? Because when it comes to this being like a family movie, there's a lot of really raunchy jokes and a lot of really deep cut politics that for a children's movie is strange. But at the same time, there's a lot of very childish jokes that yeah. if this was like supposed to be like a teen young adult movie, there's a lot of like like the chase scene with Will mm. Ferrell's character and Barbie in like the building and everything i thought it was hilarious but it's a very childish humor scene that comes more like a kid's movie like there's a lot of tone shifts yeah yeah like now all of its common go ahead yeah it basically just comes down to every time like the movie like starts going it's like okay this is a family movie and then it has something happen i'm like okay Maybe it's not a family movie. And then it goes back into being very lighthearted and everything. It's like, okay, so, you know, it has like the family value kind of like tropes of like, hey, you can, you know, be who you want to be. This, that, you know, family is important. The mother-daughter relationship and everything. It's like, okay, it's a family movie. And then they have a joke in there that makes me go, or is it really a family movie? (laughs) Because that's going to create some awkward conversations in the car going home. Yeah, this movie ain't for kids. I'm gonna just say that straight up. It's just, it's yeah. just, I don't even know if teens are the audience. Like this, this movie was a gamble because 
Greta Gerwig is is a great filmmaker, um, but it's like it's like the kind of movie her and Noah Baumbach wrote. I'm like, I want to know in the boardroom did they say, okay, okay, so we're gonna aim this towards adults that play with Barbies mm-hmm. and uh, teens that are aware of Barbies. But it's like that's that wasn't really the marketing of it though. Like the marketing was for everybody, and I'm like, yeah, kid, I don't I don't think kids are gonna understand this movie. Is what I'm trying to say. No, there's uh, a like, lot like, of scenes that I gotta believe kids were just zoning out on, and uh, yeah, it just is kind of strange in that regard. And in my theater, there were a lot of kids. Like I would oh, say. Wow a good quarter of the audience were, you know, 10 years and younger. I think there are moments in this movie where some kids will be like, what's patriarchy? Yeah. I don't understand this. Um, what, what, uh, why is Ken riding a horse? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I, I don't, I don't think this is a movie for kids, but I don't say that in a bad way. I just yeah. feel like kids just won't understand this. I, I just think they it'll miss the mark. But, um, you know, looking at this film here, I think it's I, I, we'll get into it. I think it's great for what it is, but I just don't think it's intended. I think it's intended audience, like you said, is a little up in the air. Yeah, it's, because, it's like, very strange. Yeah. yeah, it is a strange movie. I think it's a, I think it's a good, strange mess. And so let, let's get into it. I like how I think Margot Robbie plays a woman that's going through an existential crisis perfectly you know like uh as she's going through the motions she's like dude why am i feeling like this like i I, i'm supposed to be barbie i'm I'm supposed to be perfect i'm plastic but i'm i'm an icon and feminism and you know like you know but like she comes to the real world and she's like things are so strange here and i don't understand why i'm feeling this way and but i like the complicated relationship between america ferrera and her daughter and how that translates to her as an adult and how her feelings are translating to the Barbie in the Barbie world. Yeah. Like, um, I like how that plays a factor in the script. Like, the, the film is well-written, but I feel like, again, like, you got tonal shifts within the comedy that's going like, okay, now this is comedy meant for kids. You know, they're, they're, they're chasing her around the Mattel building. You know, um, the FBI is calling the Mattel building like, hey, the Barbie just escaped into the real world. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. <laughs> He comes into like Will Ferrell's office, uh, the the boardroom. He's like, I, I gotta talk to the guy. He says, "Uh, we're in a meeting." Oh, okay. Can I whisper? I will settle for a whisper. <laughs> they all whispered to each other, and I'm like, okay, this is comedy meant for kids. This yeah. is Will Ferrell in Elf type of comedy. Mm-hmm. Then we get to the the innuendo jokes and the patriarch, the the feminist jokes and the you know the patriarchy jokes, and I'm like. Kids aren't going to understand that. Right. The jokes were good. It has to be said. Right. The jokes and everything were hilarious, but they didn't fit into a kid's movie. And I know that there were some things I was reading up that people are like boycotting the movie because they're like, oh, it's going woke. It's trying to transform our kids and everything. It's like kids aren't going to understand this movie. None of these are like laid out in a way that kids would understand. They're very like yeah. deep cut to people that are already in like politics and understand these issues. And I also love how the movie itself makes fun of woke culture itself by being like, look, you have to be thin, but you can't say that you want to be thin. You got to say you want to be healthy, but you can't be too healthy because all of a sudden oh, that becomes dude. your entire person. 
I love that how, was a great monologue. Oh, it was fantastic because the yeah. entire time I can just imagine somebody's head spinning as they're going, wait, is it woke or not? Is this movie woke or not? <laughs> yeah. See, I'm going to give you a perfect analogy here, man. Um, like, uh, you remember the film Small Soldiers? Oh, yeah. Okay. So when you had um, Archer versus Tommy Lee Jones character, Major Chip, Mm-hmm. I did as a kid. I didn't look at it too deeply. I said, "This movie's awesome. You got you got doll, you got action figures fighting each other. You know, Major Chip." But as you get older, you realize, okay, Major Chip is about war, and you know, you yeah, it's the military conquer- against the uh, peaceful. I think it was supposed to be like Native Americans was the representation mm-hmm. of the uh, monster figures. Right. It, it's told in a way in which kids can 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 enjoy it, but then get it later on in life. Yeah. Like, oh, that's what that movie was about. In Barbie, it's like that there's not little nuggets given to the kids. It's like straight up like, uh, no, they're not going to get this. Yeah. Like, it's, it, they're just going to be lost. You know what I mean? So it, it wasn't like that with this movie where you could kind of you kind of like spoon feed a little bit to the kids that are watching. Through, through allegories and such, but it's like, nah, man, I, I think some kids are going to be lost here. But uh, moving on from that, um, so yeah, you know, Barbie's in the real world, and uh, I think it's some stuff. See, see, this is the childish humor. So they get arrested three times. Oh, like, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, when did they get out? Were they just held for like an hour and let go? Like, 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 because like, they they get in and um you know some guy you know rudely smacks Barbie on the behind she punches them they get arrested they get their costumes uh they get arrested again and let go and like well it has to be said they got arrested the second time because they literally stole the outfits and they were told hey you got to pay for those and they just ran off and the next scene is them back getting booked again and I love the cops like talking about him being like. How is it that she looks hotter when she's wearing more clothes? Well, it's because it gives you more to imagine, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, looking from that, man, it's pretty funny. Uh, again, that's childish humor. Yeah. But then it kind of like, you know, goes back into like um, humor that kids won't understand. But just moving on from that point. um, Dude, I like I said, Margot Robbie was great as Barbie. And some people are getting kind of mad about this, but this is just my personal opinion. Dude, I think Ryan Gosling, he he was born to play this role. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is this is one of his best roles, man, since like I feel like this is his best role since Drive and Crazy Stupid Love. Like he's just he's the perfect person to play Ken, dude. Like 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 how Ken and I love Ken's character development, how he goes from being, you know, he's just Ken. Yeah. And um, then he goes in the real world and he realizes he goes, oh, men rule the world. Yeah. <laughs> this man goes to a library and, 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 and conflates patriarchy with horses and Westerns. And 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 I just want to be on a horse, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then he <laughs> he takes this as meaning like, OK, this is how the world should be ran. Goes all the way back to Barbie land. And puts the Kens in charge of the Barbies and to the point where Barbies are submissive and, you know, serving Kens and everything like that. And uh, like he 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 puts it in his mind like uh, I love the one scene where he, they're at the school and the one lady says, 
excuse me, sir, do you have the time? You respect me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just asking, do you have the time? <laughs> wait, no, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> you know, I'm on to something here. <laughs> I love the way Ryan Gosling plays this role, dude. And um, you can tell he's in over his head, right? Because he, he takes an idea and he, he implements it in the worst way possible, like destroying, like, like, like subverting all Barbie land rules and stuff like that. Oh, so, yeah. um, going off that, uh, what I wanted to say was, um, you know, uh, so I like how, you know, when they're trying to bring Barbie land back to what it is, you know, America Ferreira gives that great monologue. And then uh, they just keep telling everybody random stuff to kind of snap them out of it. And one lady said something. What was the Zack Snyder joke? Oh, I was in a trance where it seemed like I was just really invested in Jack Snyder's kind of (laughs) Justice League. I personally think that's the best joke in the entire movie. I was dying (laughs) at that scene to the point that I'm sure that some people in the theater were kind of just like, okay, man. It, it's it, it's a good joke, but it's not that good because <laughs> that one just oh, got me. I was not ready for them to be like, oh, yeah, we're just going to throw it a complete stab at everybody that like thinks that the Zack Snyder's Justice League is the greatest thing DC's ever come out with. Right, right. I was in a chat. Listen, I stand by Zack Snyder's Justice League being great. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. I thought it was a great movie, but I thought that was a funny dig. I said, that was funny. You got to keep in mind, there's a lot of people right now that are still trying to campaign to give the Warner Brothers DC stuff back to Zack Snyder because they're like, well, look, the Flash failed. So, you know, Zack Snyder's stuff was all great and amazing and everybody loved it. That's who they're attacking with that. That's who they're making fun of. Not the people that are like, yeah, okay. Zack Snyder's version was better than Joss Whedon's. So when okay. it's basically just coming out, and I love that it's also a W or a Warner Brothers movie as well. So yeah. they're attacking themselves with that one a little bit. And I love that. But it, right. it needs to also be said, the fourth wall breaks humor in this movie, I absolutely mm-hmm. loved. I think that it was the best kind of like jokes in the film were the fourth wall break ones where one of them is, you know, having America Ferreira's character talking to Barbie and going, mm-hmm. look, you know, you're beautiful. You're not ugly. And mm-hmm. then just you hear the narrator note to the filmmakers making Margot Robbie, the <laughs> the actress you cast as Barbie does not come across in this scene very well. <laughs> right, right. This like Margot Robbie playing a character that thinks she, that 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 thinks her own character is ugly. It's not the yeah. <laughs> what, what, what am I trying to say? It's, it's not the win. You, it's not the flex you think it is. Right. <laughs> you're you're not getting the point across on this one, guys. <laughs> that was funny. That's funny. And that and I love the writing of that. Like like listen, man. Gerwig and Baumbach did a great job writing this script. Oh yeah. Because this is this is some great comedy right here. Because I like the way it um comes across. But I got to say something, man. The daughter kind of annoyed me. Like, I felt like yeah. she a little too angsty for a teenager. Like, like I'm like, okay, we get it. Men are bad. You hate guys. Like, just ease up. All right? It, it Your wasn't dad's even a guy. that she hated guys. Her entire character was just the a teenage girl that hates everything. And that's all she was. Well, and then yeah, she just flips yeah. immediately in the movie. Oh, it's wait. like... 
this world is great. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, mom. Yeah. Like, come on. You know, uh, I, look, I'm, I'm going to be honest here, man. Uh, I, I, I didn't complain about it a lot because, again, movies like this only come around so often and should be made more of in which, you know, you know, women are given a voice. And, uh, you know, certain things that are bad about society are, are made fun of hugely. And, uh, you know, I, you know, get finger wagged at such as, you know, of course, patriarchy. But mm. I feel like in the end, the movie didn't stick to its guns. No. And what I mean by that is, you know, like feminism, from what I understand, is women's fight to be equal to men, right? Yes. That, so that's I, the so I thought, on paper, you know, it, definition of feminism is equal rights. E- equality. Yes. Exactly. Equality. You know what I mean? So I thought in the end, I thought it was going to be changed to Barbie and Ken Land. You know, mm-hmm. I thought there was going to be Ken's and Barbies on the Supreme Court justice and not just Barbies. Um, still keep President Barbie. But what I'm saying is I thought it was going to be an equal land in Barbie land. But in the end, you know, Issa Rae has that joke where um, my man who plays Shang-Chi, uh, Samu Lu, I think that's his name. That's the way to say his name. He comes up like, hey, can, can we be on the Supreme Court justice again? Yeah, nah. <laughs> we, we can give you, <laughs> you some lesser a- roles within, you know. <laughs> Right, right. You get some lesser roles. As, as long as we keep the trench coats, we're fine. Yeah. Um, or something like that. But I'm like, yeah, but that's not really sticking to your guns, though. Like, like I, I, nothing was really learned in the end. It kind of just went back to the way it was. Yeah. It. You know what I mean? Not only that, but even when you have, like, the CEO, which Will Ferrell in this movie, I will say, I was cracking up at his scenes. Every time he was on... I was half and half it I for the most part you know there were a couple that I was yeah. like okay but I'd say a majority of them I was cracking up like the whisper scene uh when he <laughs> watching right. them do the entire thing on roller skates to the bicycle and everything to get to Barbie land I thought that was funny the mm. chase scene it was stupid it made me laugh you know and even when they're like walking through Barbie during like the Ken war and the one guy like gets shot by something, dude, are there mm-hmm. weapons here? No, nah, it's not happening. And they just keep walking. Like I got a chuckle out of that even, but I yeah. love how mm-hmm. his character, like even at the end when Barbie's like, well, I'll just be just normal, ordinary Barbie. Oh, that would never sell, sir. It actually would get massive profits. Never mind. That is the perfect idea. And it's like that even goes against the message of the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's listen, listen. When America Ferrera character said that, I was like, "That's the dumbest idea I ever heard." Yeah, like the movie's gonna make fun of that. Like they're he's, they're not gonna buy that. And then Will Ferrell says that idea is horrible. And then right. the guy says that would actually sell. I said to the film, "No, it won't. It wouldn't." Yeah. Yeah. First <laughs> like, off, listen, it, no. And then second off, you're going against your own message where it should have just been going. No, why would we do that? No, Barbie is supposed to be this thing. Like, keep the pedestal in the same spot if you're going to keep everything the same. Moving right. one piece over doesn't change anything. Right, exactly. And, you know, what I wanted to say was like, um, listen, when people, when, when kids play with their dolls and their action figures, listen, I don't want to play a video game where a guy plays a guy, go, where the guy goes to his nine to five. He comes home, pays bills, spends time with his family. You wake up the next day 
oh, the, the next mission is uh, you get to go to the movies. I don't want to play a game that's like my life. You want you want to play with dolls and action figures and video games that are beyond your life that you want to aspire to. I, you know I mean, I, mean? I don't want to say you're wrong, but there is games like that. <laughs> the Sims? Uh, the Sims, Second Life, Animal Crossing. <laughs> well, even that is rooted in fantasy, though. Like, you can create your Sim life. You can't really, in, in life, that's a little harder. I can't really create my own apartment unless I'm a carpenter. But you know what I'm saying? Like, what I'm saying I, I get what you're like, saying. You get what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, like, no one wants a middle. No one wants a, a midlife crisis Barbie. Like yeah. no one's gonna buy that. Like you know what I mean. So that that's that's hilarious to me. But um, well, kind of yeah, taking I, on that note a little bit. I do love how they kept giving screen time to the failed Barbies that Mattel has released over the years, such as the video camera Barbie, the <laughs> Skipper Barbie. Which I love America Ferrera's reaction to seeing that one of oh my god can I try real quick yeah it's, <laughs> it does exactly like the real one and right, right. I love how they even the I'm trying to remember what she was but the pregnant Barbie that they were like yeah it, but she's got discontinued back in this year's because oh, yeah. having a pregnant Barbie is kind of weird and <laughs> i love those kind of snide jokes even the ones at the different kens like the one played by rob bryden i think it was for the uh sugar mm-hmm. daddy right Ken. right right yeah <laughs> which yeah, yeah that was pretty funny I, I love how it was like so you're actually a sugar daddy no 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 this is sugar and i'm her daddy <laughs> holding up the dog right 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 yeah i thought yeah that was pretty funny um you know, I was gonna say, uh, how'd you feel about Michael Sarah? Oh, I absolutely loved his character. I, you know, mm. I don't think it's a secret. I love Michael Sarah in basically oh, most shoot. movies he's in. I'm, I'm speaking to a Scott Pilgrim guy. I forgot. Well, not only that, but I, I like him in you know Arrested Development. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the movie, but the one where he has like the dual personalities. Youth and Revolt. Yes, Youth and Revolt. You know, yeah, I, I'm I like Michael Sarah. So seeing him in cool. this movie where he literally I, I think this role was perfect for him as like Alan because he's not a Ken. Right. He's the only Alan and he's kind of just second fiddle to everything. And even the scene where he's like trying to escape and he shows up at the back of their car. I love how that was like a counterbalance to Ken showing up when Barbie was driving. And mm-hmm. this time he's just like, look, I just want to get out of this world. It, it's not the first time an Alan has escaped. You know, all of NSYNC were Alans. Yes, even that one. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, I uh, I thought he was cool. You know, I um, I, I like Michael Sarah and other stuff, but I thought he was cool in this. Mm-hmm. I got to say, I, I, I didn't share the same thing about Will Ferrell like you. I, I thought he was 50-50 in this to me. Like, like, like half and half, half of it was like, hey, that's pretty funny. Half was like, all right, it's just Will Ferrell being Will Ferrell. Like, uh, <laughs> dude, dude, he, he needs Adam McKay back. I, he I'm gonna does just say it. He needs Adam McKay back. I, we need the boys back together. But, um, uh, going from that, dude, I, <laughs> so, so the ending where, where Barbie wants to be a real person, um, is fine. 
I, I like real I like Reed, uh, Reed Perman as um the person that you know um is responsible for creating the Barbie. I thought that was a nice little twist. Yeah. Um, but in the end, dude, what does see? Did I miss the joke? Like the gynecologist joke? Because I I didn't quite say it's an odd place to end that. Like. It, what was so the joke? first off, that was one of the jokes that I was like, really? That's where you want to end the movie? OK, whatever. Right. But it was random. That was a callback to when they first came in the world and they went up to the construction workers. And right. They made I remember that those jokes. And she was like, look, I don't have a vagina. He doesn't have a penis. We have no genitals at all. And the joke being now that she's a real woman, you know. She oh. now has to go to a gynecologist. Okay. <laughs> that's a little funny. I wouldn't I wouldn't have that as an ending joke, but that's a little funny. Right. It's a it's a weird place. Like the joke is like, okay, you gotta chuckle out of me, but really that's where you want to end the movie. And that's funny. It, it was another thing where it was me just going, Who is this movie made for? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, dude, can you imagine the kids that say to mama? What's the gynecologist? Um, well, um, um, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, <laughs> I, I feel sad for the parents that brought their kids to this. Cause oh, they, yeah. I'm telling you, I just know some of my nieces and nephews will be zoned out in a lot of this movie. They'd be like, oh, oh, people dancing. Oh, okay. Oh, hey, we'll chase in the building. Oh, Okay. You know, they would be zoned out in a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, there's a lot of great, like, background jokes and everything in this movie, but none of them are still, like, family made background jokes. They're just ones that people would pick up on, like, all the TVs that are everywhere after Ken takes over the dream houses. I thought that was mm-hmm. hilarious as, like, the kind of trope of, like, oh, yeah, guys put a TV in every room. And then I think about it, it's like, yeah, I have a TV in, like, every room in my house. I, Good yeah, job, movie. Too. You got me. <laughs> right, right. Uh, men love helping a woman in distress. Yeah. I just don't understand. Well, let me, sh- let me help you. Right. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, overall, man, I feel like this film does what it's meant to do. Uh, it, it doesn't have a very uh, clear intended audience, but I feel like it does what it's meant to do. And I feel like Warner Brothers took a great risk here. And I feel like for whoever likes this film, they, they will like it well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I give this a I give this a three point five uh, for me. Again, I think the message overall is muddied a little bit. The mm-hmm. target audience is confusing, but as a comedy it sticks out to me like all the jokes. I loved it. Yeah. I don't fully think this movie was made for me, but I still enjoyed mm-hmm. it. I got, got a lot of good laughs out of it. I got a very confusing mm-hmm. ending. It, it does have some monologues that go on a little bit too long though, but I'd still mm-hmm. give it a solid four out of five. Like it is still okay. a solid comedy that when somebody goes, Hey, do you recommend watching the Barbie movie? I'm going to have to think on it for a minute and be like, hold on. Like how deep into like political comedies are you? Well, it's, it's a children's toy movie, right? Yeah. But how deep into political comedies are you? Do you care about feminism? Right. (laughs) Overturning patriarchy. It's just, dude, isn't it just Barbie? I'm like, yeah, but no, 
<laughs> yeah. Do, do you think the joke of getting the patriarchy mixed up with riding horses is a funny joke that you're going to hear about five or six times? <laughs> you got to fill out a questionnaire to know if your friend is good to watch this movie. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I, I thought it was overall solid. All right, y'all. We're going to move on to the next one here. And that brings us to our second movie today, Oppenheimer. Uh, directed by Christopher Nolan, this time starring Cillian Murphy as the titular character of Oppenheimer, who is joined is that by Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Uh, Oppenheimer, okay. who is joined by Matt Damon as a general who is in charge of the mission to create the first atomic bomb. Going through the entire phases of uh, Oppenheimer's life as he's presenting the details of the project going through it and it's basically it's hard to do a bare bones of this movie because the bare bones of the movie is literally just going through all the details and everything in order to make the atomic bomb that is very well known to have ended world war ii it that's the movie (laughs) Yeah, it's it's uh, the life and times of a uh, you know uh, uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer, and it's uh, split in two timelines, and um, I think this is quite quite brilliant on uh, Christopher Nolan's part. There's a there's a black and white timeline, and then there's a color timeline, uh, fusion and fission. Um, mm. I forgot which one fission was. I think fission was the uh, fission the, the, was the, the black and white timeline. Okay, so black and white timeline is post Manhattan Project. Uh, Oppenheimer has had a little bit of a fall from grace and he's um he he's he's the he's trying to keep his security clearance and uh defend his right to be a, a US citizen and that he's not conspiring against the United States or its um uh agenda in war. And uh uh Robert Downey Jr.'s character Louis Strauss is um is up for election to be um the uh, I believe the Secretary of Commerce um something like, like that uh, yeah yeah he he was um he was on uh he had a hearing uh where uh, we'll get into it we'll get into it but anyway there's two timelines here the color timeline is um as as Christopher Nolan has stated it's a subjective view of Oppenheimer through his life and his career whereas the black and white timeline is a uh, very objective like based in truth of what happened during that time of you know uh, Oppenheimer's quote unquote interrogation by, um, you know, uh, U.S. officials and things of that nature. But we'll, we will get to that. First important question I got to ask you, sir. Did you see this in IMAX? Uh, I saw this one in Dolby. OK, well, we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll depend on this, if this next question, if, the, if this was awesome to you. Now, when this film started, man, um, and, and all you heard, all you saw was the. You see this big explosion of fire across. The, I saw this in IMAX mm-hmm. across the screen, and you see this quote: "Prometheus stole fire from the gods and gave it to man. For this, he was chained to a rock and tortured for eternity." And all you hear is Ludwig Göransson score the the click, click, click. I said, the, the I said, this sound is of uh, basically a radiation detector. Right. And it's just just all inspiring and, and powerful and, and just booming. I was in the theater like this is special. Yeah, this is going to be special. 
Yeah, if nothing no, like, else about this movie, the sound design better get, you know, I don't think anything can beat the sound design on this for uh-huh. any kind of nominations. Listen, that opening with that opening quote, uh, I ain't been that geek since John Wick Chapter 4 opens with Keanu Reeves punching a punching bag <laughs> and the sound just echoing. I said, this is going to be special. Like, yeah. this is special, uh, dude. Um, and the way it starts with, uh, you know, you, you, you get these great little, like, like inner title, like cutaways of like neurons and stuff as, mm-hmm. as, as Nolan introduces to us, okay, fusion, fission. And, um, you're seeing Oppenheimer in two different timelines as he's trying to like, uh, Nolan is trying to establish to us what's going on. I just love the way the, the rising orchestra, like the score here is amazing, dude. Like Louis Garanzen. I didn't know how Christopher Nolan would be without a Hans Zimmer score. I said, because Hans Zimmer, you always you always um associate him with Nolan. Yeah. But when Hans Zimmer went off to do Dune, I was like, oh, I like Ludwig Garanzen, but I don't know if his score is going to fit well with Nolan. And from t- Tenet to this, it's just it's a perfect fit. I yeah. mean, the score is literally part of this film's DNA. Um, I, I would say the sound design in general is this... Yeah movie's dna because throughout the entire movie we get the radiation detector kind of clicking in the background Mm -hmm. we have just the explosions and everything it every part of this movie one thing that i remember hearing and thinking okay so originally christopher nolan said that he would not have any cgi scenes in this movie and I thought, okay, so he's going to do very light CGI. But there were no CGI scenes in this movie. The explosions mm. were like archival footage of the actual explosions from their testing of the atomic bomb that they used in uh-huh. this movie. And yeah. even then, like some of the kind of like nightmare scenes that Oppenheimer has are practical effects. With, you know, the the peeling of people's faces and stuff like that is all practical effects. None of it was CG. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, definitely. So okay, okay, okay. So so I wanna I wanna get into this. Um, you know, folks, if you don't know by now, I'm I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be objective here. Now, listen, dude, for a three hour movie, this went by fast. Like I, I didn't feel like this was like there were times I felt like this was three hours, but it didn't feel like a slow three hours at all. Like every scene has purpose in this movie. Like I would every- say the movie starts slowing down a bit after the first test. When, when the project starts. Okay. But I feel like it slows down meaningfully. Like, yeah, like, I don't know if you felt this because this is my one criticism with the movie. I was like, dude, the first act goes by so fast that we don't even get room to breathe. I'm like, well, hold on. I want to know a little bit more about how he met his wife. Like, I want to know a little bit more about his his relationship with Florence Pugh's character. But Nolan says, no, no, we're we're gonna we're going here. I'm like, oh, okay. See, like, that wasn't you know, a problem like, like, to me. That was a problem with me because I was like, I I need I needed a little bit room to breathe because I'm like, I'm just meeting this guy. I don't really know much about him except you know he's kind of an introverted guy. Uh, he's ambitious. But, you know, he's kind of like, you know, uh, 
so so let's 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 take it let's take it all the way back so there's a great moment in this film that tells a lot about his character uh so he's um he's in science class let's just call let's just call it science class i think it was chemistry and, uh, but yeah science class <laughs> <laughs> he's in chemistry so um the professor you know uh patrick blackett you know uh you know they say oh oh niels bohr is is giving a lecture let's all go and Patrick Blackwood is like, not to you, Oppenheimer. You stay there because you messed up your set. You clean up your mess. Everyone leaves. Um, Oppenheimer takes, um, you know, some some potion and puts it in the apple that was left for the professor. And, you know, the movie kind of leaves it there for a second. And then after the lecture, it gets back to it. And you could tell Oppenheimer, he, he starts to like, he wakes up the next morning like, oh, wait a minute, I poisoned this dude's apple. And he comes back, and of course he stops the apple from being eaten by neither the, the the professor nor the visiting scientist. But it's something that it tells something about his character too. It mm-hmm. says Oppenheimer, you know, he's he's kind of a dame. Like I don't want to say he's he's a person capable of dangerous creation, which kind of foreshadows his creation of the at- atomic bomb. But he has in the same in the same breath, he has he's human. You know, he he realizes uh, the potential dangers of his ambition. Does that make sense? It makes sense. It's not how I interpreted the scene. I interpreted it more as like his impulsiveness when it comes Mm. to how he reacts to things, because we see that a lot with the relationships that he has as well. And then when he's pushing for the, you know, different parts of the atomic bomb, you know, Project Manhattan, he's very impulsive with, you know, okay, we'll get this person. We're going to set up these camps, you know, Oh, this person doesn't want to do, okay. We're going to throw this person into leading this part of it. Like his impulse control is very low and Mm -hmm. he has to almost have somebody take a step back for him in order to bring him back down to earth. The apple was just one of the times where he brought himself back. Hmm. Okay, that's that's a good take too. Um, so going from there, and we you know we go through relationships quick. We go through his um his relationship with uh uh Gene uh, Tatlock, uh, which later turns into an affair when he gets married to Catherine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Kitty was her name, her nickname. So we we see him as a student. We see him as a professor. We see him going against the Communist Party. We see him taking a stand against communism. We see him meet um, Leslie Groves, played by Matt Damon, and uh, put in charge of the Manhattan Project. And then that's where the film takes time to breathe. And then that's when we go into details and, and, and take a little bit more of a, a slower pace towards getting to the meat and potatoes. Like this film, the centerpiece is the Manhattan Project. Like that's the centerpiece of this film. That's where most of the scenes take place is when Oppenheimer gets together his crew of, you know, scientists and Avengers to create this um they they called it a gadget but we we knew what it was like yeah. you know so everyone knows it's a bomb but everyone says gadget for uh you know uh I don't want to say safety purposes but for dis- discretion uh, yeah it's more of to keep it a secret like it's right. even when it's being kind of worked on and everything and Oppenheimer hasn't been brought onto the project yet because of mm-hmm. the discovery made by the Germans he already knows oh this is going to be used to create a bomb and 
throughout the entire thing, you know, everybody keeps going. Yeah, it's it's the project. We're creating a device. Everybody mm. knows exactly what they're making, but at the same time, it's a lot easier on their conscious to say we're making a device than we're making something that is literally intended to kill people. Right. And and the film doesn't shy away from that either. It doesn't it it doesn't shove it down your throat, but it takes the it takes the right amount of like um putting this this main character on trial and um but not it condemns him but it also shows the human side of him too so well let's get into that so we gotta get into acting here man uh killian murphy i mean this guy has been a great actor for a while it is cillian cillian okay cillian murphy um this dude is uh, given some great uh character roles uh for a long time in his career but this is like his one like this is his first major leading role in the film in a big box office film and he just knocks it out the park man I oh mean, absolutely he, he just he sinks into oppenheimer with the 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 arrogance the like the line between arrogance and charisma the line between pride and guilt um ambition and remorse like he sinks into this role dude like you know his his facial expressions he's the perfect kind of ambivalent guy to play this such this ambivalent complex role mm-hmm. and um dude when it comes to acting there is no weak link in this cast. Every single person in this cast brings it. And um, mm-hmm. I, I actually have one question about the cast for you, because when it came to the marketing of this movie, I basically stayed away from it. I saw the first trailer and then I saw mm-hmm. the standard trailer that would play before every movie and everything like that. And we had Cillian Murphy, Emily Bunt, uh, Matt Damon, Florence Pugh, like, I, I knew they were all in this movie. It, did I completely miss every piece of marketing with Robert Downey Jr.? See that he was on he was on the poster. Like was his he? name okay. was on the poster. But I feel like with that, the only way I knew it was because I remember Robert Downey Jr. talking about. And let's get into that because um I remember Robert Downey Jr. saying, "Yeah, you know, I when I took a break from Marvel films, I kind of wanted to." I kind of want to prove I can still act beyond mm-hmm. being Tony Stark. And um, let me tell you something, man. Uh, if Cillian Murphy is like the the leading star for this movie to bring people in next to Christopher Nolan's name, dude, Robert Downey Jr. is the secret weapon. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he killed it, bro. Like, like this is like this film reminds people I've always known. But this film reminds people that this dude is more than a leading man in Marvel films like Robert Downey Jr. If you study his his films, he can he can act his ass off. Oh yeah, like and he he does it here like like effortlessly as Louis as Louis Strauss, um, especially towards the end when you realize this guy that uh, Louis Strauss when you realize this guy deserves the Hater of the Year World Award because <laughs> he hates Oppenheimer. Like yes. you realize that in the end, but um, dude, he killed it, man. I love Robert Downey Jr. in this movie. Oh, absolutely. It was just kind of one of those things where he first appears on screen. And I had the thing of going, wait, is that Robert Downey? And mm. or no, I didn't even think him at first. I was just kind of going through the Rolodex in my head like he's familiar. I'm waiting. And I think after you didn't he's recognize like, first, him? well, after his first like he said something, I was like, oh, it's Robert Downey. Because he was oh, okay. not even in the Rolodex of people I expected to pop up 
in this movie. At first, I was thinking, is that Christian Bale in this movie? Because Christian Bale can turn into any role. He's a chameleon. Right. And him showing up in a Christopher Nolan movie, you know, it is not out of the question whatsoever. But yeah, after he spoke and I was like, that's Robert Downey Jr. I didn't know that Robert Downey Jr. was in this. That's a cool cameo. And then he stuck around for the rest of the movie. I was like, oh, he's a main player in this movie. I didn't even know he was in this movie. (laughs) He killed it, bro. He killed it. Like every everybody in his cast is good. But if I was to put ranking, he's number two with a bullet to uh, to Cillian. Oh, yeah. he, He killed it. But, um, dude, I was surprised by Josh Harnett, Casey Affleck, and, you know, blinking, you miss it, Rami Malek. You know what oh, I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I was surprised by them showing up because I, I was like, wait a minute, that's Josh Harnett. You know, I was like, oh, OK. Yeah, this it this movie is packed when it comes to the cast for who oh, yeah. they got for all the scientists and everything. Uh, even Josh Peck is in this movie. From Drake and Josh, (laughs) which threw me off as soon as because it doesn't even like stick on him for a second. It kind of just pans over him with a bunch of other actors. And I was like, was that Josh Peck? And he doesn't show up for a solid like half an hour later where it's actually a good shot on him. It's like that is that's Josh Peck. I didn't know that he was doing movies. (laughs) Bro, did did you did you um, I don't know if you knew this. But, you know, uh, uh, my man, uh, one of the uh, co-directors of uh, Uncut Gems, you know, one of the Safdie brothers, you know, he's you know, he he's acting, acting now. Uh, Benny Safdie. Really? He's the one. Yeah. He was the one that played um, uh, Edward Teller. He was the guy that was like in the in, in the meetings together. He was so kind of like just, you know, kind of like 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 nonchalant to the point where he was about to leave. And then Oppenheimer said, all right, look, 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 just stay around and you and i will schedule time in a week or, or in an hour we just talk physics yeah he was oh, okay. that was him yeah yeah there's a lot of just it this cast is insane like even looking at the cast list and imdb and it just keeps going like i feel like i'm scrolling down for you know <laughs> twice as long as any other movie and the cast so, list is still just still going okay so so let me say this so Emily Blunt um, uh, being casted as uh, as Oppenheimer's wife, Kitty. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought we was going to run into the usual Chris Nolan issue where, you know, female characters, you know, they, they got a voice, but they're kind of second to the main characters. And like, you know, they're kind of like just there to support the main characters. But uh, she was like, because she, she's such a like silent killer in the movie because, you know, she's, she's a drunken wife. You know, she's, you know, her husband's cheating on her. She's depressed. Mm-hmm. But I like how later in the in the latter half of the film, she has this brilliant, pitch perfect scene where uh, Jason Clark's character is interrogating her, and you think, "Oh man, she gonna be drunk and mess it up," but she just snaps into it and like gets him a little nervous by going because they're both going off semantics, but she's like out semanting him right. in the interrogation. I'm like, dude, that scene was well written and well performed. I was like, that was that was dope. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely perfect because throughout the entire third act, this is following the atomic bomb has gone off and we're now basically in the post of that where, you know, he Oppenheimer is 
on trial for his security clearance and everything. Mm -hmm. And she's going through and being like, Strauss is the person that's clearly doing this. You gotta, you gotta fight back. You can't just take it. You know, I love one of her lines in the movie, which is, are you hoping that they'll forgive you if you let them tar and feather you for Mm -hmm. everything that you've done? Do you feel like you need to be like made a fool of in order to get your, you know, in order to feel like what you did wasn't a terrible thing because Mm. clearly he has issues with everything that he's done. And the idea that he even has a blocking point for the hydrogen bomb and everything like that is made evident throughout the entire movie, which clearly is something that would be against the interests of the military to work on another bomb that would basically dwarf the bomb that is supposed to end the world but him being such a it you know so afraid of the concept of it is wonderful because he sees exactly what they're creating and Mm -hmm. he tries to stop it without preventing it kind of you know more or less being like we can't go creating this but we have to be aware that its creation is possible I would argue that didn't come until after the damage was done. And oh, yeah. The, the, it, it's already released out into the earth. Then it's kind of a, oh, God, what have I done? You know, then that's when the whole thing of, uh, uh, you know, well, 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 you know, Oppenheimer kind of go ahead. Keep in mind, it was also brought up when they're at the round table before they even did the initial testing of just one of those brackets of the plutonium for. Oh, yeah. The they were talking bomb. about the hydrogen bomb. Yeah. Well, that was kind of like, wasn't that kind of in his mind, though, where he was looking at the map and he was seeing like certain like bombs in his head of going off of where where it could impact and everything like that. Yeah, that was kind of in his mind. But I'm talking about like openly, loudly saying uh, we shouldn't do this. Oh, yeah, that wasn't until. Yeah. yeah. But he was still like Um, doing little things to like prevent like when the one scientist was going, look, we should be looking at hydrogen as you know, a fuel source instead of plutonium and stuff. And he was just shooting it down because even in that scene where he first kind of initiates the idea, he goes, look, the using hydrogen as a fuel source would be 20 times better than plutonium, Mm. which is already in short supply and we can't get enough Mm. of and everything like that. He's already shooting it down because I think in his head, he already has the implication of, just how dangerous that would be. Before we move on here, I want to talk about two more people in this cast. Um, first of all, uh, Florence Pugh as a uh, Jean Tatlock. I love the dynamic between her and Cillian. Um, the sexual chemistry was perfect. I didn't know if that would work at first because I'm like, I don't, I don't pair them up well. But the way the film plays with it, and I love like the running joke where every time he gets her flowers, he just oh, she throws just them in the trash. <laughs> Like I said, this is funny and this is sexy at the same time. And then when the suicide happens, it turns emotionally devastating. Like it's 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 a nice it's a it's a nice, complex, sad relationship. That whole uh, side storyline. I feel like that's played very well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's Uh, definitely I I don't want to say it's one of Florence Pugh's best, but the role's perfect for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It ain't it ain't her best. That's I think that belongs to Midsummer. But um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'd say it's very strong work. 
But uh, what I was going to say was, um, dude, this again, I love that it's just one scene with him. Gary Oldman as um, I forgot which president he was. Truman. He was a uh, Truman. Dude, I love him in that role because he's such an asshole. Because, <laughs> like, you know, Oppenheimer's just sitting there like, uh, they, they're like, hey, so you think uh, you think we have another enemy with the with the uh, did he say the Soviets or something? Uh, the Soviets. Um, yeah, because yeah, this was said, just prior to the Cold War starting. Right. He says, oh, so you think we should worry about the Soviets, huh? And then Oppenheimer's like, look, man, um, I'm, I'm very conflicted because I have blood on my hands. And then I like how I like how Gary Oldman just looks at him like this. This, this fucking guy. Yeah, he hands he, he him takes a the rag. napkin. He takes a napkin out of his ass. So, dude, I think I was the only one in the theater that laughed at that. Because I was like, dude, he he plays the asshole so well. <laughs> he was like, oh, you, you got blood, huh? Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's such a great scene. Even as like he's walking out of the office and you just hear in the background, make sh- you know, make sure you don't bring that crybaby back in here. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And it's like you feel sad for Oppenheimer because it's like, oh, yeah, dang, he's just like president don't care. But at the same time, you're like, dude, you are kind of being a crybaby. You 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 created this <laughs> like, you know, you know, on top of that, like you're not the only one that's got blood on your hands at the same time. Like I, I looked at it like, dude, you're not the only one that has blood on his hands. Like, you know, but um, and, and again, that that that's that's putting the character on trial um, you know, not entirely letting him off the hook because it's like, again, this is all through his view, right? He mm-hmm. feels bad, but you got to understand you're not the only one responsible and the world doesn't revolve around you and your guilt, but you did create something that does affect the world and could affect it in a very devastating, catastrophic way. Right. Yeah. Well, even when they're going through all the out, I don't want to say out the uh, calculations for the atomic bomb and everything and one of them comes back that this could end up igniting the atmosphere across the world you know creating a chain reaction that just causes everything to end and it comes up a couple times throughout the movie of this starting the chain that ends the world including right before they like do the first test and somebody's taking bets and goes, yeah, how, who has uh, $20 on I'm trying to remember what the name of that uh, calculation was, but on it, the atomic bomb test literally igniting right, right. the atmosphere and just killing everybody. Yeah. And I love Matt Damon's character as Leslie kind yeah. of just going, what was that all about? Well, we did calculations and there's a near 0% chance that you know this would cause a chain reaction that just destroys the world a near zero well what do you want from theoretical physics uh zero zero i want zero zero. (laughs) that was hilarious man that was funny and dude i okay we got to talk about the massive scene the exact the test dude i love the way this plays and i love how it it plays with and, and you know it goes with like realistic sound waves too because mm-hmm. like you see the explosion is in is silent as hell. And all you hear is that, you know, um, legendary quote that 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 uh, Oppenheimer uh, quotes in his uh, interview in his later years where he goes like, you know, I am um, destroyer of worlds or, you know, yeah. I, I have become death destroyer of worlds. And then, boom, 
the sound waves uh, travel. How was that in Dolby? Oh, God, it was a fantastic. See, yeah. when that scene was coming up and everything like that, I was curious how they were going to do it, especially with the whole like no CGI statement that mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan did and them using archival footage from the actual test. Brilliant. And having everything where the sound just completely cuts out for that scene mm-hmm. for a little bit and then it starts coming in slowly and it just keeps going and then it just is that rush of just the sound wave coming back and i wasn't ready Brilliant. for it i'll be honest it, it caught me off guard and it got me to jump a little bit <laughs> i knew it was coming i said okay they're gonna invite they're gonna bring the sound in yeah like like i it, i know the bomb is coming like yeah, the it, bomb it, sound see i was thinking oh they might just kind of let it be a somber moment without the sound because it was going for so long without anything and then it just came in and it actually kind of got me a little bit where it was like oh okay yep there it is yep <laughs> mm. yeah 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 uh brilliant man brilliant and um yeah br- brilliant so i i want to uh before we move on to like you know the the epilogue and everything but i, I want to make note of um well no let's talk about einstein because I love oh, yeah. his relationship with Oppenheimer. Like, you know, I like how Einstein, uh, he's just like, a, he's, just, he's, just, he's just living with the times, man. He's just being happy, walking in the woods. I, I remember some strange thing, a guy, I know he's important. I don't know who he was, was walking with saying, yeah, you know, in the woods, it's very, it's very peaceful out here. Mm-hmm. Or he said something strange. Uh, and then um, he was talking about how he wouldn't eat food because he was so afraid that the Nazis were going to poison him. Oh, yeah, something like that. And then, you know, Einstein kind of walked over to Oppenheimer and they're talking. And he's like, um, he says, you know, this this um this thing you're creating, you know, has the potential to be dangerous, mm-hmm. um, you know. And so I like how we revisit that scene where Strauss thinks the whole time. I, I know they were talking about me. He said oh, yeah. something to uh, Einstein about me to, to make him not look at me when he walked past. When really, you know, when we cut to the ending scene, it's Oppenheimer time. I'm like, dude, you said this thing uh, I make could the, change. The chain the reaction I, was possible. Right. Like he says, I, I, I think I made I think we made the world worse. No. And then, you know, it's just that. Well, it's hmm. a comment of saying, you know, remember the theory that we could ignite everything and end the world. I think mm-hmm. we did. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, it's just the needle drop at the end of the movie. Uh, but I love how that was exactly what was revealed that was said to him. That's a classic Chris Nolan scene where, mm-hmm. where you linger on one moment that he keeps re- coming back to throughout the film. Right. Um, he, do- he does that a lot. But um, what I want to say is, uh, dude, I love how the short scenes that Rami Malik, Malik is in, he just, he's just shit it on every time. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> You know, first time he shows up, he's taking minutes and notes between Oppenheimer and the other guy he's talking to. Oppenheimer takes the pen like, uh, we don't need notes, uh, sir. Yeah, and, and, yeah that was when they, they were in the secret facility or whatever. He's just like, we don't need right. to know. <laughs> right. And then later on, Malik tries to give him some kind of petition and he knocks it out of his hand. I'm yeah. like, damn, man, is he just getting shitted on in this movie? Like, what's but going on? I also love at the very end during the actual right. like court trial, he's the one that comes forward because Strauss thinks, oh, yeah, throughout the entire thing, his 
that scientist was one that Oppenheimer was very critical to. So he'd be right. on Strauss's side only for him to flip and it starts the entire thing. I, the twist with Strauss is also a great one with it turning out to yes. be, he was the person behind getting all of uh, Oppenheimer's clearances removed and starting the investigation and everything with the FBI and even controlling the investigation and the court and everything like that. It absolutely fantastic. I will say, like, the last third of this movie definitely feels a lot slower to me, but it's a method. Really? I think so, mm. but it, it was very precise slow down. Because mm. the first third of the movie is pretty fast-paced with him building the team and everything like that. Then I think it's because the boots are on the ground running. It's just so interesting hearing them go through the debates of all the calculations and everything to make the bomb that mm. after the bomb went off and it's just a trial of him going through a couple things with people about how he feels about it and how other people felt on the project. It just felt like a slowdown to me. Oh huh. yeah, I could see that. It definitely feels like an epilogue, but um, I felt like it, it went at the right pace for me. I felt like everything with the intense sound design with, you know, the, the impending doom and the sound and everything, in Oppenheimer's mind changing and, and like pulsating represents his guilt, his impending guilt. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that was done very well, but, um, yeah, dude, I, I just thought just terrific film, man. Uh, you got any more notes about this? Uh, no, it, when it comes to this movie, it, sound design is on point. The script and pacing, I think, are well done. Even with the third act kind of being a little bit slower, I think it fits with the pacing that they needed for those scenes. And mm. obviously, like, the cast is just absolutely phenomenal in this. It, this one's a 4.5 to me. Easy. Ooh. I gotta say five. Really? Um yeah, I, I wrote a review for this on 8-Bit Waffles. I, I gave it a 9.5, but I think if I'm going to go in DFV terms, dude, outside of first act being a little too fast, uh, this is a 5 to me. Like, I don't see anything wrong with this. This was a fast, easygoing three hours to me. Okay, I can see it 100%. You know, it's, <laughs> it's an absolutely fantastic movie. But yeah, the, wow. even the three-hour time frame, it doesn't feel like three hours only time will tell if this is nolan's best but i do believe this is the movie nolan was made to do like he was made to make a film about oppenheimer like this was destined to happen mm -hmm. this this is his type of movie right um but this is like i don't dude i think i don't this might be the most nolan this nolan this <laughs> nolan movie i ever saw the sound design the playing with time um you know, the conflicted main characters, emotion, the, the score. I, this is the most nolan Nolan movie I ever saw. Even the use of like color and black and white to kind of signify if something is a subjective matter or an objective yeah. matter. It's a callback to Memento. It, it's yeah, it's, it's the quintessential Nolan film. This is. Um, yeah, man, I think when it comes down to it, I don't think it was a... You could tell them, well, by my ratings, it sounds like a, a landslide, but these were both very entertaining movies. Um, it was a terrific uh, marketing 
uh, uh, thing that went down, which was made by the fans and uh, enhanced by the fans. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I got to say the winner here, it, it, it's clear, you know, it's uh, it's Oppenheimer. Right. Uh, but if you were to ask the box office, uh, Barbie movie has sold almost twice as much as Oppenheimer from the last kind of recorded ticket sales. Because Barbie's at 150 okay. and Oppenheimer is at 80 million. It's not bad. Right. Did this movie... How much does it cost to make this movie? Uh, around a hundred million. Uh, Oppenheimer was budget was one hundred million. Okay, I think it's I think it's reached one seventy four by now. Uh, the box office. Uh, oh, are you looking at worldwide? I'm looking at domestic. Oh, okay, talking about domestic. Okay. Um. Okay. All right. Well, good on it. You know, it's Barbie, man. Yeah. Like I told you, there aren't a lot of kids that's gonna go. I don't care about who made the atomic bomb. Like, you know, like, yeah, but after watching Barbie, I don't think there's a lot of kids that are going to walk out of the Barbie movie going, that was good. (laughs) I'm so confused. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. What's a gynecologist? Right. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Well, um, no after show on this one, guys. I feel like this was pretty much the meat and potatoes. Um, You know, this has been another great episode of DFV, Uh, you know. Take care, uh, go watch movies, and, uh, you know, have a good night.